uh, when you're talking about a building as we are for this week, last week, and the next week to come, part of your conversation is going to be about money. And in this uh, story this morning, we have quite a startling turn of events. Jesus is telling the story. It's a parable. So it's a story he made up. It's a parable, most likely did not happen, uh, but it's a story that he is telling. And in this parable, he tells the story that Bill has read for us of a shrewd manager. But at first, he was a wasteful manager. And so the manager is working for a rich man, and the rich man most likely owns lots of land. Lots of land, and he has folks who live on the land, who work the land, and they owe him Uh, uh, money, and the way they pay him most likely is through whatever it is that they plant, sow, reap, harvest, that kind of thing. That's the way they pay him. And so he's got these people spread out over his uh, vast estate, and he's got a guy who does the dirty work in a sense. The guy collects the rent from the people, the tenants who live on the land. And so the guy's not doing a good job, and the rich man decides to fire him, and he says, listen, you're losing your job, turn in your books, it's over. So the guy goes to get his books and uh, to turn them in, and he realizes most likely the manager also lives on this rich man's vast estate, and when he loses his job, he loses his house. This is total loss for this guy. So what does he think? I'm in trouble, I don't have a place to live, and I don't have a job, so what should I do? He goes then to, his, um, uh, to, to the people that owe his master money, to the people who owe the rich man, and he decides, I better get in good with them, because if I have no place to live, and I have no job, they might be able to help me out. So he goes to one who owes a certain amount in oil, and he reduces his bill by half. That's a good day if you're that guy, right? You owe quite a bit of money, and the person who is in charge of collecting the money says, hey, 50% discount on your bill today. You're going to like that guy. And he goes to the second guy and he says, let's take 20% off of what you owe. That guy is going to like you too if you're this manager. And then you have this surprising twist. All right? We're tracking right along until we get to this surprising twist. If you're the manager, if you're the rich man, you've just taken a big financial hit. Right? You've lost money because your manager went and reduced others' bills. You would think then the last thing you're going to do is look at that manager and say, wow, good work. But that's what the rich man did. He looked at that manager and he praised him for his shrewdness. Now, those listening to Jesus' story by this point are on the edge of their seats. They've been tracking all along. And up until this point, their next expected event is that this manager, is, this rich man is going to have this manager thrown in jail. I mean, that is what they're expecting. Only to hear the rich man commend the manager for his shrewdness. A couple of things to remember. 
the rich man did not commend the manager for his dishonesty. That was not the case. He was being fired not for being dishonest, but for being wasteful. So those two things are important to remember, but the rich man commended the manager for his shrewdness, his ability to take his circumstances and do something rather good with it. That's shrewdness. The ability to take whatever cards are dealt to you and win the hand. That's being shrewd. And the manager commended him for being shrewd. What does that look like? What does that mean? Well, then Jesus gives us some insight into why the manager would have such a response. He says, for the sons of this world, we're out of the parable now, and Jesus is applying it, verse 8. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Let's talk about money for a little bit this morning. Every person with money falls into one of these three categories, all right? A little bit of self-analysis. You have spenders. Spenders are people who get money and they get money so that they can spend it on something. All right, so parents, think of your children. And when you think of your children, if you have more than one, you'll know where your children fall. You have spenders. And when spenders get money, it burns a hole in their pocket. All right, they just want money, and when they get money, they got to buy something with that money. It just is there. They cannot stand not to be able to spend it. So you have spenders, and the, those are easily identified, by the way. They are easily identified uh, because they tend to have the latest and the greatest or the best and the brightest of things. They buy a lot of stuff. Spenders do. Then on the other end of the spectrum, you have hoarders. Hoarders are people who get money and they look at it. All right, they watch it. Against their broker's advice, they look at their account every day. They watch it build. They will never pull it out. It's got to add to what is there, and then that adds to what is there. And so the more they get, the better they feel. Money does something to them that makes them feel good. The spender is riding around in his new ride, and he's feeling pretty good. The hoarder is riding around in an unair-conditioned jolappy of a vehicle. Judging all the spenders, all right? That's what hoarders do. They judge all the spenders. I mean, look at that. Look at what they're riding around in. But, you know, I'm riding around in this whole thing, but look what I'm sitting on in the bank. And then somewhere in the middle are investors. All right, so you've got spenders and you've got hoarders, and then Jesus wants to talk about investors, those who invest what they have financially. What does he say about investing? Number one, Jesus says, invest eternally. Invest eternally. What does he say here? 
He says, the master commended the dishonest manager for his shrewdness, for the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Sons of this world, those not of the faith, sons of light, those of the faith. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying if we used our resources as believers, as shrewdly as this dishonest manager used his resources, what might we accomplish for the kingdom? Let me say that again. If we were as shrewd in using our resources for the kingdom as this dishonest manager was in using his resources to his own advantage, meaning we invest for the kingdom, it's a selfless giving. If we were as selflessly investing as, uh, as this guy was, what would it accomplish for the kingdom He says, and I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. What does that mean? Commentators struggle to try to figure it out. I will go, I think the simple way is the way to go every time unless it can be disproved. All right, so I think you need to simply look at what what, what does it say? It says, Jesus says here, make friends for yourselves. By means of unrighteous wealth. What is unrighteous wealth? It doesn't mean money made dishonestly. Uh, It's just the term used to describe money. All right, it's, it's money. Make friends for yourselves by money so that when it fails you, they may receive you into eternal dwellings. All right, so what do we learn from that? Number one, money will fail you. All right, it will. What will money not buy? Money will not buy a great marriage. It won't. If it would, Hollywood would still be married. Would they not? I mean, would they not? If money would buy a great marriage, um, NFL uh, stars would still be married. Uh, NBA players would still be married. Divorce wouldn't be so rampant. Money Money fails. Money won't buy health. It just won't. It may get you better treatment. It may get you the best treatment available in your area or in a large place. But ultimately, you can't spend enough money on yourself to make yourself better. It won't buy health. Money will not buy you success. Money will not buy you success. We were talk- I was talking with Trent recently about uh, this. We have a crazy fascination, let me say obsession, let me say idolatry in our country with sports, right? We worship sports. And so Trent uh, was playing uh, in a basketball game, and he came up against, this is unusual for Trent, uh, he's a big kid, but he came up against some super big kids, I mean, these kids, uh, two of them were about 5'11". And uh, one of them weighed in excess easily of 200 pounds. So they're on the basketball court together, and Trent's getting manhandled, and that's new territory for him. And so he's getting manhandled on the inside there, and me with all of my basketball skills, you know, know everything that's going on. I just know big guy, not so big guy, you lose. All right, so... 
that's the extent of my basketball knowledge. And um, so we get finished with the game. We lost, to give you some idea, uh, 57 to 4. Yeah, that's a beatdown. All right, so, so we lost 57 to 4. It was, you know, not the most fun thing to score four points in a whole game. And so after it is over, I discovered a new phenomenon. I don't know how new it is, uh, but rather remarkable phenomenon. And here's what it is. Uh, these guys actually were in the trends was a fifth and sixth grade team, and these guys had to prove they were in fifth and sixth grade, and how in the world can these guys be in fifth and sixth grade? Uh, when I discovered this new phenomenon that parents are holding their kids back intentionally in school so that they will be larger by the time they get to high school and have an advantage when they go into college to play ball. Wow. So Trent and I have this conversation, and we're talking about sports and athletics and, and all of this kind of stuff and how we live in a country that now worships, you know, pieces of leather that we hit, kick, shoot, whatever we do, we're, we're, we're there, all right? We're not headed there. We've arrived. And so we had this conversation when somebody who was uh, with us pops up and he had been doing some research and he said he, he discovered that 60-some percent of all NFL players file bankruptcy within two years of finishing their career. Wow. Money will fail. Money will absolutely fail you. It cannot get you where you think it can. It won't. So Jesus says, if we were to be as shrewd so as to invest our money as shrewdly as this dishonest manager did, invest it so that when it fails you, you may be received into eternal dwellings, or they may receive you rather. It's an active uh, verb. They may receive you into eternal dwellings. What is that? It means one of two things. It either means that God may receive you into eternal dwellings, or that the people that you gave the money to when you're in heaven will say thanks. It means one of the two. I think it means the second myself, because it says they, and that means more than one. What might this look like? Here's the best I can understand it. The way you give your money now has great impact in heaven. It has great impact on the kingdom. So that one day there appears to be the possibility of somebody you've helped remembering that when you're in heaven and thanking you. That's what the parable teaches. There is the possibility of your giving in such a way. I was thinking, um, as Sarah was singing so beautifully her song, and Sarah shared with our Bible Fellowship group last week, and she's getting ready to, she's raising money to trek off to a closed country to serve God there as a missionary. And I was thinking of the folks who give to her and people in that closed country come to Christ and you will not know that. But if I understand this parable correctly, you will in heaven. Part of heaven's reward will be somebody who is blessed with the ability to know how your gift connected to their salvation. 
Wow. That is investing in eternity. I think of the lady, I've shared this before, a few years ago when I did youth ministry, I had a lot of kids who came to the youth group. Their parents didn't come to church, and, and so they kind of flew solo, and we'd go on trips, and they'd have to pay it. And I remember this lady who'd walk into my office every single summer beforehand, and she had an envelope full of cash. And she would hand it to me. She was a very successful businesswoman. And she would hand it to me, and tears would start to flow down her face. And, and uh, I asked her, why are you doing this? And she would say to me, I don't deserve to sit in this church. If you only knew my life before Christ and my life now, you would know I don't deserve to sit here. This is the least I could do. And every summer, I'd have the privilege of looking at kids who couldn't go on trips and say, well, yeah, you can. Well, why? Well, she doesn't want me to know to tell you who she is. But yes, you can go. Uh, She's in heaven with the Lord now. And I'm convinced that as some of these kids who are now adults who one day die and go to heaven, they'll see her and they'll look at her and they'll say, Thanks. Invest eternally. Uh, That's why we would uh, venture out to build a building for children. Uh, We have the most effectiveness in reaching them for Christ. Uh, That's why we would consider a daytime preschool. We have the most effectiveness in reaching families early and young with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's why I unashamedly ask you to sacrificially give. It doesn't bother me at all. No more than it bothers me to ask Bill with his radio-like voice to read Scripture. He has the Mac Daddy Scripture reading voice. Amen? It's good. It doesn't bother me to do that. No more than it bothers me to ask Bugs to pray for all your requests. She's a prayer warrior. Amen? It's awesome how Bugs has prayed through the years. If you have money and you have lots of it, you should give lots of it, period. You should. Invest eternally. Number two, invest what you have. Jesus continues to talk about this, and he says, one who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. Let me share something with you. If you're one of those who sits here, and we have so many young families, and I want you to hear me on this. I want you to hear me. Listen close. You say, well, Jerry, we can't give. We have too many bills. Let me say something to you. When you have more, if you don't give now when you have little, you won't give when you have more. Oops. It's true. Jesus says if you're faithful if you have a little bit, then you'll be faithful if you have a lot. My son Trent gets allowances, and then he gets blessings from grandparents, all right? Mom shows up with a 20. And so what do I require of Trent? He has to save 10% and give 10%. Do you know when he struggles? When he's gotten a lot. He'll say, Dad, that much? He will. He will. Listen, listen, if you're making $300 a week and you struggle to give 30, when you're making 3,000, you'll struggle to give 300. 
If you won't give when you have a little, you won't give when you have a lot. That's what Jesus is saying. If you're unfaithful with a little bit, you'll be unfaithful with a lot. Nothing's going to, the amount isn't going to change that. Because some of you are sitting here, and 10 years ago, you were in that situation. You said, you know, when I get more, I'll give more. And now you have more, and uh uh-oh, you sit here, and you're not what? Giving more. You're not. Why? Because you didn't give when you didn't have a lot. Oh, this was drilled into me, so drilled into me as a kid. I would watch my dad. We grew up so poor. But one of the things that I would watch my mom and dad do is to give generously, give generously of whatever we had. Be that food, be that uh, stuff coming out of the garden. Uh, uh, Glenda and Diane uh, lived across from us when we were kids. And, and they lived with Judy, and that touched my parents' hearts for whatever reason. And all year long, whatever came out of our garden, as soon as it came out of our garden, Dad would send one of us over with whatever we had. As soon as it happened. I remember uh, this guy coming to preach at our church as a kid, and we had so little as a family. But I remember my dad walking across or, or bringing this guy to our house, walking him into his closet, saying, here are the suits I have. You can have whichever one you want, because it bothered him that God didn't have a suit. It was just so drilled into us. It wasn't that we had so much. We didn't have so much. I remember for a week as a kid, my sister's here, she can vouch for this, that we ate cornbread and milk every night for a week because that's what we had to eat that week. But my parents gave. They just drilled that into us. You've got to be giving people. You've got to be giving people. Drilled it into us. It, it doesn't, it's, you give what you have. You give what you have. The teenagers sitting here on the front row who have jobs, Bojangles, right, Pike? All right, so Pike's frying up some good chicken over at Bojangles and uh, uh, ice cream Jack Frost man right here. Uh, Nathan, you, you, you give out of whatever you make there. You start now, you start uh, as teenagers, as you receive, then you give. And that's what he is talking about here. One who is faithful in a very little is also faithful in much. And one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. What's interesting is that we will build this building with gifts large and small. And all in between. That's how we'll build it. When everybody is doing something. That's how it will work. And so next week when you complete your commitment cards, some of you, you are so blessed financially. You look around your life, you are so blessed financially, and the number on there will be significantly larger than others of you who wonder how you can give. Do you know what God says? God always honors proportionate giving. Percentage giving, that's the way the Old Testament giving worked. That's the way he encourages it here. This is proportionate giving. Give what you have. Invest what you have. Whatever that is, invest it. Give. Ran across this story a couple weeks ago. Our staff's reading through, rereading through this book, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership and Cyber. 
died in 1995. She was 101 years old. She had worked for the IRS and retired from the IRS in the mid-40s. When you live to be 101, you're retired for 50 years. And so she retired in the mid-40s. Uh, um, her pay was, was dismal. She made $3,150 a year the year she retired. They didn't treat her right at the IRS. She got a little pension. She got her Social Security. She lived in an apartment in Manhattan. And so in 1995, when she died, no one was more surprised than the president of Yeshiva University in New York uh, when they received a letter from her attorney stating that they were the recipients of her estate which was valued at $22 million. $22 million. Uh, she read the Wall Street Journal, but she wouldn't buy it, so she trekked down to the library to read it. She lived a very simple existence, but she had bought some stocks while she was working at the IRS, and then she began to invest those, invest those, and, and obviously over time she invested and earned a lot. She invested what she had. And that's the principle here. Invest what you have in the kingdom. It is not the amount. It has never been an amount that impresses God ever, ever. Why? Because he owns everything. And that leads us to the final principle for investing. I, I, I finished my sermons on um, Thursdays. And... Then when I'm reading back through and praying through it early this morning, I thought my third principle, I don't like the way it's stated. So uh, on the screen, I think it's going to say invest what you don't have. But let me just say change that to invest what you don't own. Invest what you don't own. What do I mean by that? Let's look at uh, Jesus' further words about this. He says, if, the, uh, if then, verse 11, you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth with money, who will entrust to you the true riches? And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? These are parallel statements, and when they're parallel statements, you have to line them up. And so what, what lines up here? There's a lining up of money. If then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth or money, who will entrust you with true riches? So we got money on one side, true riches on the other. And if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, so money equals another's, who will give you that which is your own? So money equals another's, and true riches is that which is your own. That's how we have to understand understand it, it begins to explain itself. Money is another's, true riches is that which is your own. Here's a newsflash for you. You own nothing. Nothing. It isn't yours. Whatever is in your brokerage accounts does not belong to you. Whatever is in your bank account Whatever car you drove here this morning, whatever house you live in, well, most of you say, yeah, that's the banks. Um, but it's not yours. That's the whole point of this. You see, the manager was only a manager managing that which was not his own. He wasn't managing his own money. He was managing the money of the rich man. So here's how money works. God 
gives you a certain amount for this window of time that you're on the earth. He gives it to you. James makes this clear when he says what? Every good thing given and every perfect gift comes from where? Above. Every good thing given comes from above. So some of you earned your money this way. You're bright, you went to school, you're in a higher paying work. You're in medicine, you're an attorney, uh, you are in that line of work, uh, money, financial work, and that's the way you made your money. Who gave you your brain? God. Who gave you the ability to use your brain to make the money that you make? God. Others of you I call steady eddies. And steady eddies are people who made uh, increasingly amounts of money over time. You never made an enormous amount of money, but you invested it as you made it. Who gave you your health so that you could work this extended period of time? God. Who gave you the wisdom to know to invest that over that extended period of time? Let me hear you loud. Who? Who? God. It isn't yours. And there are those of you who've inherited money. And for those of you who've inherited money, it seems more natural for you to realize, this really isn't mine. Why? Because somebody else handed it to you. Maybe it was through their death, and you'd much rather have them than the money. I understand that. But, but, but it was through their death, or it was through some kind of situation, and you received that money, and they handed it to you. Who gave you those people in your life? God. All right, here's the clincher, and this is going to, 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 to nail some of you between the eyes, but it's the truth of the word of God. Here's what Jesus is saying. If you cannot handle that which is not your own, how in the world will God trust you what he wants to give you which will be your own, which isn't material but is what? Spiritual. Here's the deal, and this is the deal. And Jesus made this point on numerous occasions, but he made it clearly here. If you cannot trust God with your wallet, you will never trust him with your heart. That's the deal. If you will not trust God with your wallet, you will never trust him with your heart. Money's that big. It's that big. So, well, well, Jerry, I I trust God with some. Uh, Why does trusting God with some not work? Here's why. This is probably the biggest twist in the parable. What is the biggest twist in this parable? Here it is. It's the amount of oil and the amount of wheat. Here's how much the oil is worth. As best we could tell in this parable, the oil that is owed to the rich man is worth $125,000. Were this to be today. $125,000. $125,000. So when the shrewd manager writes off 50%, he's writing off 60 some thousand dollars. 
the rich man takes a 60-some thousand dollar hit for that. The wheat is worth, based on what we can uh, transfer over and take just in our county, the median income in this county, all right? That's what we're doing. We're taking it from, from the measure that it is to denarii, which is can, we could compute a, a, an annual wage and taking a $39,000 median income in this county. So that's what we're basing this on here. It's worth $324,000. $324,000. To take 20% off the top there is a $64,800 hit that the rich man has taken. What's the point? Here's the point. The point is that those people owed a debt they would never in their lives be able to pay back. Jesus told the story that way. There is absolutely no way those people could ever pay the debt back. They were forever indebted till their death to the rich man. Cut it in half. They still can't pay it back. Take 20% off. They still can't pay it back. The only way it could be paid is if the rich man forgave it. That, that's the only way. No way to pay the bill unless the rich man forgave the bill. The shrewd manager is in it for himself. He doesn't care if those people are forever the rest of their lives indebted to his boss. He just wants to make sure he can have a roof over his head and food in his stomach. What Jesus is trying to get across to these people is I will step in where the shrewd manager leaves off. And what he cannot do nor will not do, I will do by satisfying this debt owed to the rich man. What is that debt for every person in this room? Sin. We just sang about it. It was paid in full by the blood of Christ. Paid completely by the blood of Christ. All of a sudden, we're all tenants living in rentals, working our ends off to pay a debt that we will never pay off unless somebody slots the shrewd manager to the side and says, I'll pay his debt and his debt, and her debt, and hers, and his, and his, and hers. I'll pay it all. 
Do you know who didn't like that? Look at the very next verse. Pharisees. What did they do? The Pharisees, who were lovers of money, heard all these things, and they ridiculed him. They liked that idea, that thought. I have two questions for you. Number one, have you taken your sin debt and given it to Jesus Christ? who on the cross bled and his blood came down so that what we owed is now now gone. Have you trusted him with your sins? With your very lives? If not, the rest of this message is meaningless to you. Oh, you may be able to take financial principles and go, okay, invest eternally, uh, invest what you have. Uh, I get that, I get that. Um, invest what you, what you don't own. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if I get that. But if it doesn't mean anything to you inside, it can never mean what it should mean outside. So question number one is, do you know the great Savior who paid your debt? Number two. What about your wallet? Are you a spender? Are you a hoarder? Or are you an investor?